G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. You might have caught the news that broke just yesterday of another sickening attack on a Christian church in the West African nation of Burkina Faso. At least 14 people killed when a gunman opened fire at a Sunday service. The president of the West African nation condemned the attacks as barbaric. It's reported that the attackers were linked to Al-Qaeda or to the ISIS-aligned Levant group that have been infiltrating north, south, east and west in Burkina Faso. It's the latest violent attack that follows hundreds killed and nearly a million forced from their homes over the past year. And it's a reminder that at this time of year that all is not well in many parts of the world. And a reminder that if we're going to make sense of these sorts of tragedies, that the Christmas story of the baby in the manger must have some deeper dimensions that offer hope for humanity. Well, our special guest this hour is Ashley Saunders, who is the national CEO of Barnabas Fund in Australia, and uh, reeling, no doubt, with this latest news because Barnabas Fund works extensively in the nation of Burkina Faso. Ashley Saunders, a special welcome along to 2020. Well, good morning, uh, Neil, and good morning to your listeners. It's good to be with you, even though we need to discuss some matters that might be shocking, but I would hope, as I think you would hope, that listeners would not only hear some of the reality of living in the world today, but in putting that into a biblical context, would recognise that Jesus is good news, even in the midst of persecution. You know, it might be for some thinking, you know, oh, here we are, we're listening into a media conversation and the idea that we might just have some sort of uh, special uh, shocking detail just to attract attention gives me no pleasure at all. And uh, I suspect the same for you, Ashley, uh, to talk about shocking things like another mass murder, which I don't think has been very widely uh, reported in mainstream media. So uh, that's another issue for our discussion. But it gives us no pleasure to talk about these shocking things, except to say that if we don't, uh, people will be in the dark and they won't know the true plight of people who are suffering under persecution in nations like that one uh, Burkina Faso in West Africa. And that's just one of many nations that are under this sort of threat. Uh, yes, that's right. And and so violence against Christians is increasing. And even though uh, there is a whole lot of religious violence going on in the world, in terms of the number of people who are persecuted by people of a different religion, um, Christians in that sense are the most persecuted people in the world. Sure, uh, in the Middle East and others, there's big fights between different uh, parts of Islam and huge numbers of Muslims are being killed by other Muslims. But if you look at um, the number of people who are attacked or persecuted by members of another religion, the most persecuted people in the world today are Christians. And 
When I hear that, and, uh, you know, I'll be interested uh, to hear from listeners, uh, even on this point, because we'll open our talkback lines in just a few minutes uh, for you to contribute to our conversation. Sometimes I get the impression we hear this, that Christians are the most persecuted people on the face of the earth, uh, and to the point where we might be even putting ourselves into the victimhood category. Uh, Now, I'm always resistant to that, and I say, well, no, as Christian believers, we're not going to do what some of these other minorities appear to be doing and waving a flag every time something is said or they're offended and all of a sudden they're a victim. And and, uh, I imagine that when uh, when we talk about these sorts of facts and statistics that express that Christians are the most persecuted people. It's not because we want to put ourselves into the corner and wave a, a surrender flag and say, aren't we dreadfully hard done by as victims? But but this is the reality of what's happening, Ashley. Yes, it is a reality. And even those Christians who are facing violence because of their faith, they don't put themselves in a victim category. Uh, they don't say to us, uh, we're in this terrible situation, will you please pray that the persecution will, will cease? They ask us to pray that they will be faithful even in the face of persecution because they know that their faithfulness in the face of persecution is a powerful testimony to the truth of the claims of Jesus Christ. And so they also ask us to pray for their persecutors. They want their persecutors to come under conviction and to receive Christ. They don't put themselves uh, in a victim category, and neither should we. You know, I heard, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, some uh, some commentary coming out of China uh, where a particular Chinese uh, activist a Christian activist, uh, was saying, uh, don't pray that the persecution will stop. Pray that we'll have resilience to be able to stand for Christ under the persecution. There's a different dimension there on the way that people in persecuted countries around the world may be feeling about those things. Now, that's an activist uh, thought, uh, probably a little different if you've just had a loved one who's been shot. But there is a certain sense in which you talk about, you know, the church in these nations uh, wanting this resilience and for people around the world to recognize and stand beside them and be strong with them. What are your thoughts? uh, I mean, I I don't know whether that's a confusing thought, but what are your thoughts here, Ashley? Well, maybe it would be good sometime to get a Christian psychologist on the radio and to talk about the way in which in the West we've lost the power of resilience. Uh, We live in a society where we believe that we have a right to not suffer. Uh, We live in a society where where pain and anguish uh, is not um, expected or accepted. And yet in most parts of the world, especially uh, in the Christian communities we're speaking about, it's part of their daily existence. And they live with that and they do develop that resilience and they do know about prayer and they do know about the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Uh, A little bit of context here because uh, in the earlier conversation with Charles Newington, uh, one of your former colleagues, of course we were talking about the Israel Folau Rugby Australia apologies that were issued yesterday. And uh, we could see that and uh, certainly mindful of the importance of a deepening silencing or oppression of a Christian voice. And some of those things are forerunners to what might be a worse situation. But if we're talking context here, uh, what's going on in some nations around the world is far, far worse than we are experiencing here in Australia. So when you say, Ashley Saunders, you know, uh, you know we're just uh, you know trying to deal with a few little things around the edge here, it's, it's not quite as serious as what we're suffering. We're not suffering the same way that other nations are. 
No, one of the things that we are suffering from, people ask me, is there persecution in Australia? And uh, there, there are many people who answer different ways. There are some who say definitely not. There are some who say yes. There are some who even object to the question being asked because they can't compare what we're experiencing to what's happening in other countries. My answer is, regardless of whether we're suffering persecution, we're certainly, as Christians in this uh, country, increasingly suffering prosecution that uh, that that significant um, figures of the Christian community are being taken to court and other tribunals, that is, the mechanisms of the law are being used, and we might argue being misused, in order to silence the majority. Now, you know, I know that we're not primarily here today to talk about the Israel Folau case. The settlement of the case, which uh, is on terms not to be disclosed, as, as I understand from reports, um, it leaves many Australians asking themselves, well, what, what is the law? Um, am I going to face the same thing? And so one of the questions that we might ask is whether the settlement that has been reported yesterday has had any um, effect of clarifying the law and whether Christians will still be silenced uh, rather than potentially um, find themselves uh, in a fight they can't afford. Uh, We'll love those thoughts that you've expressed. Uh, There's a difference between prosecution and real persecution because while we've got a mechanism for prosecution, at least the courts can decide an issue. And sometimes it'll be in the favour of that Christian believer and sometimes it won't be in the favour of that Christian believer. But while the courts are there, it's a wonderful mechanism. But if there's vigilantes on the street forming mobs and turning up to burn your church and smash your house and kill your family, that's a different way of seeing a nation uh, develop. I mean, we don't want that. So prosecution's a good thing, persecution's not. Yeah, well, one of the stories that comes out of Burkina Faso, and it doesn't come out of uh, last Sunday's attack, it's a story that Barnabas Fund highlighted uh, in a communication last week before that latest attack. Um, you see, what's happened in Burkina Faso is that uh, Islamic extremists have openly declared that they want to kill all Christians in that part of the country. And uh, there's a fellow called Gabriel, and uh, he was... Uh, manning his stall in the markets when the militants came with guns. And so he, has long, uh, along with everyone else, fled for his life. Now, Gabriel then spent a week looking for his wife and children um, and eventually, after a week of looking for them, uh, found them along with um, hundreds of others seeking refuge in a nearby city. Now, uh, listeners, I, I guess, would have the same reaction that you and I do, and that is uh, that is a disastrous way. That is a terrible way to live your life. You know, if we in Australia uh, were thinking, here we are in this radio station, um, uh, is there a gunman about to come in and um, and kill us because we're talking about Christian things? Um, uh, are we going, when we go to a prayer meeting uh, on Wednesday night or Sunday morning to the local church building, uh, will, will somebody come in and attack us? You see, the people in Burkina Faso and other countries who face violence because of their faith, that's a, a lived experience. Um, That's not something they have to dream or imagine about. It's a lived experience. We don't want that lived experience here in Australia. But, uh, you know, uh, as somebody uh, came up with a wonderful quote, if you you want to... uh, if you want peace, you have to prepare for war. There is a certain sense in which preparation for 
what may happen in a worst-case scenario isn't such a bad thing. And uh, while we're at the talking about it stage, uh, that's a good thing. And uh, if things advanced, then churches would need to be in a training-type stage uh, so that there would be some level of prep, uh, preparation there. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest this hour is Ashley Saunders. He leads Barnabas Fund in Australia, another one of these wonderful organisations that works to support the persecuted church around the world. Ashley, let's touch on this element of our conversation today because we live in, uh, when we talk about the persecuted church, quite an obviously fallen world where bad things happen. Things are not right. It is chaotic and disorderly in so many parts around the world. And uh, we're about to have Christmas in Australia. December 25th is coming. And we'll often, we'll be thinking about that nativity scene, the baby in the manger. And we'll be, as parents, trying to reinforce those special focuses on the baby in the manger as Jesus, the Son of God, born to the Virgin Mary and wonderful, wonderful story. But here is a little bit extra depth that I'd like to lead us into today. When you think of the incarnation, that the world is not altogether right, what's the powerful impact that we ought to be as grown-ups thinking about when it comes to issues around this persecuted church? What are your thoughts? It might take a while to unpack, if I can, Neil. I think it's amazing that the God who created the universe not only wanted to identify with his creation, but himself came to be one of us, and not just to appear, but to enter the world uh, in the most vulnerable of ways as a baby born in a place where there wasn't even room for him to be born. Um, And uh, when we think of children, we think of beautiful and valuable and all those kinds of things, but we need to recognize that in the world in which Jesus was born, uh, children were um, not only to be seen and not heard, but but I guess the only benefit of children is that they would look after you in your old age. Uh, children were, were were dispensable, and in the Roman world, if you didn't want the child uh, that you had, then you just leave the child outside the city um, to die of exposure. And, uh, and and so God not only became one of us, but He came into this world in the most vulnerable uh, of ways, in the most vulnerable of beings, into a society where they wanted to to do away with Him from day one. We sometimes forget in the the Christmas story that um, uh, Mary and Joseph, together with uh, Jesus, uh, needed to flee. They became refugees uh, down in Egypt, uh, just as um, Joseph. Uh, had uh, and Jacob's family had become refugees in Egypt all those years before. So did Jesus, as a young man, young child, uh, go to Egypt with his uh, natural parents uh, to flee violence. And so, whether it's us here in Australia who say, "Isn't this amazing? Uh, whatever is wrong with our world, and there's a lot wrong with our world, here is a God who loves us so much that He identifies with us in this way, and we, in our struggles, know that we have a God who identifies with us. How much more valuable and potent is that 
to those who have the lived experience of violence and persecution and disadvantage and poverty, not for any other reason than the fact that they belong to Jesus Christ. So chaotic and bad the world was on that first Christmas, as you say, when Jesus, along with, uh, of course, uh, Joseph and Mary, when they fled to Egypt, and uh, that word refugee uh, really brings to the fore uh, some of the challenges that we talk about in the world where there are a lot of people who are genuine refugees and looking for somewhere to be safe. And when we think of Jesus and in his context being taken away to Egypt uh, to find some level of safety, the sort of violence that was going on, as sometimes we refer to that time as the slaughter of the innocents, uh, where Herod had uh, had called for the killing of all children under the age of two. Now, this is a world not right in our estimation, and that actually gives God, uh, you know, this sort of, you know, credibility in some sense. So when, you know, God will send his own son into a world that would face that sort of violence, that is amazing. It is amazing. And the whole story, the story um, that places us um, at the center of God's affection um, because of Jesus, because of Christmas, because of that incarnation that God became flesh and dwelt among us, an incarnation that um, seemingly ended in tragedy when he was um, crucified on the cross, but then in fact uh, resulted in victory when he raised, uh, was raised from the dead and ascended into glory. Uh, this is a message of hope for every person in the world who turns their face to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing reflection on that moment of Jesus, I, I think we could probably even say the moment of Jesus' conception, uh, but uh, we celebrate his birth. An amazing thing to recognize that at his birth, what was darkness, what was a lost world because of sin, what was a chaotic world uh, where uh, dog eat dog uh, was the way of uh, the leadership of the time uh, that here was light piercing the darkness and in that moment giving us all the value of what happens on the cross and at the resurrection at Christmas time here was the arrival of hope this was powerful stuff yes it was powerful and what about the message to the shepherds now, now, again, we sometimes paint the shepherds in this beautiful picture, but we need to recognize that these were people who were, in a sense, religious outcasts because they were ritually unclean because of their constant companionship with, uh, with animals. And so when the angels, not only was Jesus coming, um, the light piercing the darkness, but when the physical darkness of night was pierced by the light of the angels announcing the birth, they didn't go to, they didn't go to kings and princes. They didn't go to the religious establishment, the priests and all the respectable people. The angels declared the birth of Jesus to shepherds. What a message of hope that is to everybody in our society or in other parts of the world who are prejudiced, who are oppressed, who are outcast. Um, and there's a message of hope that um, God um, cares for each one of us, even um, the outcast. You know, when I think of the story, uh, the light piercing the darkness and all of a sudden hope had arrived on that very first day, uh, the image in my mind is of this rippling effect that begins to uh, to, ensh to enshroud the whole earth. 
because this ripple effect that begins to spread, and sometimes people will talk about an incarnational theology. It's not just that uh, something happens in the heart of someone who believes on Jesus, but what Jesus brings actually influences the whole world and his identity, uh, the perfect uh, son of God, that that was going to be something that was going to transform lives and therefore transform communities. So this whole wave, this ripple effect of what can bring about change, this is what had arrived on the face of the earth on that very first Christmas. Yes, and it transformed society. And um, at a time in our society where Christianity in the West is uh, seen by the prevailing worldview as uh, oppressive, and, and that there needs to be this overthrow of, a, of, of that world order. And um, many of your guests would talk about cultural Marxism because in many senses that's what it is. So in the West, where Christianity is uh, seen in this uh, bad light increasingly by the atheistic secular humanist worldview, we need to recognize that the society that we live in has been so influenced by that message of hope. And not only by the message of hope, but by practical steps um, the, the idea of the equality of human beings, um, the idea of um, uh, uh, the value of children, all those things and many others. Uh, I'm sure you've talked with Carl Fays from from his uh, series, uh, what's it called? Um, uh, you, you, you might remember better than me because when <laughs> I said... He's had a whole bunch of them, actually. Uh, yeah, that's right. But, um, but, but uh, Jesus the Game Changer was that's, one of them. The and, one. Um, yep. you know, if... if if I can plug it, um, I've got no interest in it, so let me do it. Um, the, the ways in which the message of Jesus has changed and transformed society is just amazing. Ashley, when we talk about that dreadful story in Burkina Faso, it's not the only story. There are lots. In fact, there'd be so many, we just haven't got time to, to even list them in the time we've got to talk. There's another significant thing that's been happening for years in the nation of Bangladesh. Uh, let us in on some insights there that uh, you're working with uh, or your colleagues in, in Barnabas Fund have been working there in Bangladesh. Well, in Bangladesh in, uh, in November of 2016, um, there, was, uh, there, there were um, Santal Christians had their houses burnt down. Mm. And, uh, and I've seen a, a video um, where... Uh, taken by some uh, some local news outlets, and so this isn't Barnabas Fund footage. This is uh, local news outlets, and what it shows is not only um, extremist radicals burning down houses, but in this video there are police, and you might think, isn't that great? The police are there, but no, the police were complicit, and so in the video you can see that the police themselves were also uh, setting fire to houses. And um, and literally thousands of people were left homeless that day. Now, one of those fellows was a fellow called Djen, and uh, I've seen a photo of Djen, and he's holding his shirt up to show a scar just above uh, where his heart would be uh, on the left side of his chest, and uh, it shows uh, a healed bullet wound. And so, in addition to burning houses, uh, there were there were shots fired, and uh, he ought to have been killed, but. But he, he was he was preserved and, and uh, the doctors were able to take him through to healing. And so he went home and he thought to himself, but, but, but I don't have a home to go to. And uh, he was one of thousands of these uh, Christians in this area who, who just had no homes to go to. And so one of the things that uh, Barnabas has, uh, Fund has been funding is a housing project. So firstly... Uh, building one-room homes, I'm not talking about one-bedroom homes, one-room homes, 
um, and with uh, every small number of homes having shared bathroom and kitchen facilities. Uh, Secondly, that these homes are built on concrete slabs and built of uh, brick so that they're not going to be so easily destroyed. And thirdly, being built on Christian church-owned land so that they can't, no, nobody can even argue that uh, where you've got your house uh, is on someone else's land. So protecting these people as best we can. So in Stage 1, we funded uh, 50 of these homes. In Stage 2, we funded another 50. And now we're in Stage 3 where, where we're funding another 50 as part of that stage. And, and uh, we've been able to help um, a few hundred but that still means that there's thousands of people who are saying, you know, we, we were shot at. We've got no houses to live in. And, and this fellow, Degen, uh, I've seen a photo of him standing outside his brand new house, not quite finished. <coughs> he kept on being told that uh, he was going to get a house and he didn't dare believe it until he stood out the front of his house. And, and he, along with other people, this is just typical of the attitude you find, they firstly express thanks to these Christians in other parts of the world that they don't know. But secondly, they see this as coming from God. Uh, and so they thank God for the fact that uh, some of his children in other parts of the world have been gracious enough to give them a home. And Dijen is therefore thankful and confused. Why would somebody help me? When people in my own country don't help me, when even the authorities who are there to protect us uh, are actually uh, our oppressors, um, so there's some confusion there, but there's also an enormous sense of gratitude, um, gratitude to those who have helped fund it, but mostly gratitude to God in whose name it has been done. And so even in that situation, uh, a terrible situation where there's still several thousand of people yet to be provided with a home. Even in that situation, there is hope. There is hope because people see the brotherhood, the sisterhood of those of us who belong to Jesus Christ. Isn't it a powerful thought to be able to talk about things like that? And, uh, you know, when we were, when we would, uh, you know, in some ways give definition to what a miracle is, uh, some people will say, well, that's just a, you know, a way that God supernaturally intervenes and does something beyond anyone's comprehension and does something that is an impossibility. But there's another dimension to the miracle, and that is the miracle that comes from the love of the believer who says sacrificially uh, or because they heard from God, I need to give. Uh, and that uh, finance or however that works finds its way into the situation where, you know, it's a complete unknown or it's a mission organization that is able to put hands and feet and practical help on the ground. And somebody there who doesn't know where that money has come from says, this is a miracle from God, because that is a miracle also from God for the person who is actually receiving that particular, say, that one-bedroom house. And what a powerful miracle that is. Uh, Yes, it is. And one of the real joys, I've got to tell you, of my role is to make personal contact with people around Australia who have not only opened their hearts, but as they have the ability to do so, have opened their wallets in order to give to people who um, are fleeing violence in Burkina Faso, who as converts are... Uh, f- uh, to Christ are fleeing violence in other African countries uh, who um, are indebted and therefore effectively slaves in the Pakistani brick kilns uh, or in other countries uh, who have opened themselves and, and have basically said, Lord, will you use me uh, as I have the ability 
um, to give. I will do so. Thank you that you uh, have used me. And one of my real joys is to make personal contact with those people and to hear something of their stories. Can I tell you just one story? Sure. Um, a lady who lives on the Sunshine Coast and who has been a regular small contributor uh, to the work of Barnabas Fund, we received a cheque uh, for several thousand dollars. And uh, I rang her, and her uh, story was, you know, my husband has passed away, I've, I've got a home, uh, I've got an income, um, and um, but I've come into this money, I don't need it. And so I'm going to give it away to free four families uh, from their bonded labour in Pakistan. And uh, for me to visit with that lady and to give her photos of the four families that her generous donation had freed from debt, had freed from effective slavery, uh, was just an amazing, amazing thing. And, and so there's this oneness. Yes, we can talk today about the situation in other countries, and it is terrible. And would I like to be raising my children in those countries? No, I wouldn't. Um, would I like to have as my lived experience, what they have as their lived experience? No, I wouldn't. We can talk about that situation, but we can also talk about how we, um, as followers of Jesus, can partner with them, how we can be one with them. Um, and all of this is part of the message of hope that we have because of Jesus. Uh, without Christmas, there is not that hope. But because of Christmas, because Jesus came, because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, um, there is a message of hope, whether we live in Australia or Burkina Faso or Bangladesh or, 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 or Nigeria, for that matter. Powerful way of talking about that. And let me just uh, talk about Barnabas Fund for just a few moments, because Barnabas Fund has been around a long time. And uh, I think for a little while in Australia, uh, fairly low profile. Uh, all of a sudden, Ashley Saunders is at the helm. And uh, as I understand it, Ashley, uh, you've spoken something like 60 plus times uh, already this year and you've travelled extensively and uh, you've brought to the attention the good work that is being done by Barnabas Fund around the world. And uh, the Australian supporters, no doubt, are going to are being inspired uh, when you actually turn up at their church or their gathering or whatever it is and you get to deliver uh, something of a presentation here. Uh, just give us a little bit of an insight. Over this past year, you've been doing a lot of travelling. Uh, what sort of response have you had from people? It, it's a wonderful response because some people have never heard of the reality. I was speaking uh, in a church back in January in South Australia, and uh, it was an evening service and uh, uh, with an opportunity for question and answer. And uh, somebody, uh, a man, uh, a man in his 40s or 50s, put his hand up and said, um, I've never heard about this persecution. Um, this is the first time I'm even hearing about this. Um, why, isn't it, why is it that I don't hear about this? And, uh, and I think that's a very good question for us to ask. Um, whether we're Christians or not, why is it that we're talking about this on Christian radio? Why is it that um, Al Jazeera, who, who is the source of news that you've been quoting from Burkina Faso today, um, why is it that Al Jazeera can report it, but why is it that we don't really hear about it here in Australia? Why is it? that uh, our mainstream media will keep us ignorant about these realities? Well, that is a very interesting question. Let's explore it just for a moment here, because we mentioned uh, earlier in our conversation the way that Christians around the world are the most persecuted group on the face of the earth. And there is a certain sense in which we live in a, a nation which is a sort of a rising, secularised media. When we listen to the mainstream media, 
the mainstream media appears to want to sweep aside or not see the value in a people group like people called Christians uh, of even saying that that is valuable to report on. Now, we might wonder why that is the case, but uh, what are your reflections on the way things are changing in the perception of our Australian society? My first reflection is that the increasingly atheistic secular humanist worldview in the name of tolerance has become actually very intolerant. Um, that um, I will I will call it a religion because secular humanism has worldview components. So this is uh, um, a, an atheistic religion that is extremely intolerant of anybody who doesn't go along with uh, its views. So that's my first reflection. The second reflection is that Christianity has always been, in a sense, subversive. Um, because every Christian would say, I do not owe my ultimate allegiance to the state. I owe my ultimate allegiance to the Lord himself. And uh, and so there's a sense in which, um, uh, especially totalitarian governments, and we can think of a few around the world, find Christianity subversive. My third reflection uh, is that there's a whole lot of cognitant, uh, cognitive dissonance going on. Uh, what that means is that um, things are not sitting straight or balanced in the minds of so many atheistic people. Because if if the prevailing worldview in the West is that somehow or other Christianity um, is the oppressor and we've got to overthrow, what do you do with the reality of Christian persecution in other countries? Uh, so, for example, um, when that terrible thing happened in um, in New Zealand many months ago, uh, we, we had an outpouring, um, a, a legitimate outpouring of uh, sentiment. But when just a few weeks later... Uh, there were the attacks on churches in Sri Lanka. Do, do you know that many uh, many world leaders and many secular media organisations didn't even use the word Christian? They just talked about Easter worshippers. Um, and so it's almost like, what what do we do? If in Western society um, uh, Christianity is has to be overthrown, what do we do when we see the reality of Christians being persecuted in other lands. That this is this is the this is the struggle that that's going on, um, and uh, and I would argue that it's because um, uh, in this new world of identity politics, so many people don't know what to do. For example, and this is slightly off the topic of persecuted church, but uh, what what do people who subscribe to this leftist cultural Marxism what do they do when there are Christian Aboriginal groups who uh, won't approve of same-sex marriage? Because uh, surely, you know, this, this persecuted sexual minority and this persecuted uh, ethnic minority, they're both, they're both victims that we need to support. So what do we do when, when, when they're not on the same page? Uh, why do feminists, for example, not uh, highlight uh, some of the terrible conditions that women face in many uh, Islamic and other countries around the world? Because uh, they don't know what to do uh, when their worldview is not consistent. Let me say to you, Neil, and let me say to all of your listeners, whether you're followers of Jesus Christ or not, the message of Jesus Christ does not involve cognitive dissonance. It involves completeness, wholeness, integrity, and it is entirely consistent. And uh, that's why this is good news. You know, when the world sees Christians as the enemy, uh, then we're in trouble and persecution takes over. Uh, let's come back to that very first Christmas and the grown-up conversation we're having about the baby in the manger. Uh, the arrival of that baby in the manger meant good news for the world 
And as I was describing that idea of a ripple effect around the whole earth, uh, when the baby is born and when hope has arrived, the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. Uh, Some people will think, well, it's just a nice little story that leads to the more important story of Easter. Well, this was the idea of the incarnation, that God, who had promised this right from the Garden of Eden, finally fulfills this promise and the perfect Son of God born into the world that is in a bad shape. So when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about the way that the world wants to make Christians the enemy, somehow or other we've got to work very hard here, Ashley Saunders, to make Christians not the enemy, but the actual ones who are bringing the good news. And this is where there's some confusion that we need to be able to confront. Yes, that's right. And we need to know the story. We need to know the story, not just of that first Christmas, but we need to know the story of how that, as a result of the incarnation, as a result of uh, Jesus, how that society has been transformed. Uh, we, we need to look, at, for example, at how Britain was transformed through the revival, uh, how that education was valued, how, how that looking after the sick was valued. Instead of uh, just being uh, outcast, you know, the growth in hospitals, the growth in uh, Christian charities, the growth in education, uh, all of this as an outflowing of the reality. Uh, what about scientific endeavour? Uh, the, the first scientists were Christians who said, just a minute, uh, God is a God of order. Uh, God created this world, uh, and because he created a world of order, uh, it, can, it can undertake um, scrutiny. Let's use um, this orderly world to investigate the way in which God has made it. And so um, I know that uh, that's going beyond the message of Christmas, but it's all the consequence. It's all the result of the fact that God um, broke in and decided that he would not just identify with us, but become one of us. And he can clearly identify in our stri- uh, struggles, in our joys. Uh, I just find the whole message of Christmas overwhelming and even as I'm speaking, I am feeling myself overwhelmed by the generosity and the goodness of God. You didn't even mention the legal system, the idea of justice, of the ethics that actually favor the you know innocent until proven guilty, the sorts of things that are the consequences of the incarnation of the baby Jesus being born on Christmas Day. And when we're talking in this context of the persecuted church around the world, we recognize that things are not right. Uh, The miracle that we can bring into that situation from our own position in Australia, where we're the beneficiaries of good things that have been shaped and the consequences of that incarnation that we're experiencing in the freedom and in the prosperity and in all of the good things that we are experiencing now, to be able to also recognize that we need to be able to stand alongside those who are suffering in other parts of the world. Uh, We are running out of time, Ashley, and I just want to uh, encourage listeners to connect with Barnabas Fund and therefore even connect with you personally. And I know you don't mind uh, receiving personal notes or personal questions from people who might be thinking about how they can make a difference in the lives of persecuted believers. There's a number of organizations that do deal with the persecuted church. 
But let me just say, they are too few. And so those ones that do, and sometimes I talk to the likes of Open Doors or uh, the... uh, uh, Voice of the Martyrs. Voice of the Martyrs, I'm trying to think of. Uh, but when I'm talking to you, Ashley Saunders, Barnabas Fund is right up there doing a wonderful work too. And to encourage listeners to, as you are thinking about how you might be a supporter of the persecuted church, uh, to check out the Barnabas Fund website and uh, to see if you can be a prayer partner, to see if you can join in any of the initiatives that they have, to be a part of any of the uh, fundraising programs that they've got, like those 100 uh, those 100 one-room houses in the nation of Bangladesh in the Santel housing project. You're doing good work, Ashley Saunders. Always love our, our, our conversations. Uh, we take it a step deeper when we start to say, what is the meaning here between who we are as Christian believers and what God is doing in the earth and uh, the consequences of what happened at that time of the incarnation? Barnabasfund.org is the website to make a connection with Barnabas Fund, uh, to get a message to Ashley Saunders, barnabasfund.org. Uh, Ashley, I hope you have a happy and holy Christmas, a uh, little bit of time uh, with your family, and uh, look forward to another conversation into the new year. Thank you, Neil. And uh, to your listeners, can I say, not in a glib way, in view of the wonderful news of Christmas, may you also have a happy and holy time. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 